Well, good morning, church. Pastor Ray here. I'm looking forward to being back with you next week. But right now, I have the privilege of introducing to you our guest preacher for this morning. He and his wife are no stranger to this church. Is Pastor Eric Ricard. And he and his wife, Marie Michelle, and their four children are here from Broussard, Quebec, where Eric serves as the lead pastor for the Eglise Doxa Church Plant, which we are trusting the Lord to launch in Montreal. So as he comes up, let's give him a warm Hope Ottawa welcome. Thank you, Pastor Ray. <laughs> Gotta love your pastor, right? Full of energy. I don't know if I know anyone else that smile as much as Pastor Ray. A bomb of joy. Um, let's pray. Let's pray, and then we'll jump right into the message this morning. I just uh, like my brother JD prayed this morning. We just want to look at how amazing our God is and be transformed as we are worshiping him because that's what it's all about. Amen? Let's pray together. Our Lord, we come before you this morning with humility, with hearts that do not desire to just receive information or just look at good stories but we believe that you are the all-powerful God, the God that is above all things like we sang. The God that is able to come visit us and change our lives. We are here to meet with you this morning. What a joy to be with brothers and sisters, encouraging each other in our faith, edifying each other towards you. But the greatest treasure of this meeting this morning is you. And we ask you, Lord, please show yourself to us. Make yourself known to each and every one of us. Please, Father, that the one who, who doesn't know you in this place this morning will come face to face with the Lord of Lords, with the King of Kings, and will be changed. Please, Lord, come and meet each Christian in this place, each one of the believers here that are called by your name. And change us also that we will live lives that really matters, life that counts. That our short time here will be so meaningful and bring much glory to your name. So Lord, we are waiting for you. It's not... It's not men's business in this place. <laughs> it's us. Men and women that know that if you're not the one who comes and meet us, we are here for no reason. So please come, change us, challenge us, and send us to this world to bring light and the gospel to those who are lost. We need you, Father, in each and every moment of this service. In fact, in each and every moment of our lives. So we thank you. We thank you because you, your promises are true. And we know that when your church meets together, you are in the midst of it. So thank you for meeting us. May our heart be fully um, turned to you. And may your name be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So glad to be here, church. Oh, yes, I will not forget the Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand right now. Someone will uh, give a Bible to you so you can follow with us in the text that we will look at in Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. One of the most amazing passage in all of scriptures, Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, we will look particularly at verse 1 to 8. And as you noticed, I have an accent my first language is French, so uh, it's a lot for me to come here and preach in English, so please bear with me, uh, and I believe the Lord has a message for each and every one of you, even if I have a very strong French accent. Um, in the last month, I've been to two funerals, and uh, two people that uh, I knew for uh, many years, uh, one of them was a little girl, a 15-year-old girl from uh, the, the church where I got saved. Um, and it was something to hear the testimony of her uh, faith and to see her, her family. And, and, um, and the, other, the other funeral was a, a pastor friend of mine that uh, learned he had brain cancer. The doctor told him he had uh, three months to live and he... Um, passed away before the end of two months. And just being in the house of death in these recent days, i just been thinking, and this uh, quote from Pastor C.D. Studd that just came back to my mind so strongly when he said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I, I was in this uh, funeral of my pastor friend, I... A disciple is one of his sons for many years, and my wife and I had the opportunity to do premarital counseling for him and his uh, wife-to-be, uh, and we are close with them, and listening to their testimony about their father, he was a pastor of a very small church in Gaspé, um, never saw anyone come to the Lord in his ministry there. Uh, he was there to faithfully preach the word of God. Uh, to uh, see people growing in their faith and all of this. And when you, you hear that kind of story, you need to stop and think, what is a life that you can call a successful life? What, what can you call a life well lived? When I look at the life of this pastor, I'm 100% convinced that he lived a life well he was faithful in this little church for the Lord. You know, the, the Bible says that one of us could uh, plant the seed and another one will uh, water the seed. But the only one that makes it grow is the Lord. And today I want to take your eyes to this passage in I, Isaiah 6 because this, this book is amazing. If you have uh, never read the book of Isaiah, I Strongly encourage you to go there and begin to read it. He spent the first five chapters just telling the people of Israel, you are not living your life for what matters most. You are wasting your life totally. You are living for idols. You are living, in, if you look at chapter 5, you will see that they are living to build house uh, and houses and they are accumulating the, this huge amount of riches. They're building their lives on things that will pass, on things that will disappear. And Isaiah is calling them, that is not how you should live your life. That, that, those things are not the important things in life. You are wasting it. They are not living 
for the things that truly matters. When I think about that, I'm thinking, when my day uh, will come, if I can look back and say, I've been a loving father to my four kids. I've been giving them times. I've been playing with them. I've been cherishing them. I taught my boys how to play basketball. I was caring for my wife. I loved her so much. I was caring the, the best I could and, and trying to, to keep our, our marriage strong. You know, if I arrive at the end of my life, my life has only been that, will it be a successful life? You can say, hey, he lived a good life. He had many friends. He had this and that. He was, he was loving to other people. The reality, I know I will not be popular saying that, but the reality is that if you lived a good life in that way and you take care of the people around you and you have all those kinds of things in your life and you end your life, you finish your life, I mean, without believing in Christ, I'm sorry, but it's, it's a tragedy. Because even if you lived a good life here, you will spend eternity in hell. So what is truly a, a well-lived life? What is truly a life that, that is lived for what matters most? You know, I can come and preach that kind of message here because I'm leaving at noon. And you, Ray will take care of you. <laughs> but it is so important. When the Lord came and changed my life in 2004, I was so broken. I was living for all kinds of things that really didn't matter. I was wasting my life dramatically. And the Lord came in. And one of the first things the Lord did in my life was to give me a desire to not waste this new life he gave me in Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, even if you are a Christian and thinking, yeah, I'm saved now. So I can do, I can live a life that is just normal. And, you know, I'll be saved and be with God for eternity. But time here is short and our lives as Christians must count. I think it's clear now. So my proposition with the text that is in front of us that I will read now. My proposition is this. The only successful life, the only successful life is living in faithfulness to God in all things. The only life that the Bible, that God can call a well-lived life is a life that is lived faithfully. To God in all things. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. I will read the text from verse 1 to verse 8. What I want us to see in that text is some foundations for a life well lived. Some foundation that we find in this book with this first encounter with Isaiah with his God. That, that changes life dramatically. And some foundation that we all need to live by if we want to live meaningful life for God. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With the two, he covered his face. With two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Verse 3. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, 
Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Amen. The context of this chapter is given to us by the first words of verse 1. When he says, In the year that King Uzziah died. Why is it so important? Um, king Uzziah became king at 16 years old. He was a young king. And he reigned over Jerusalem for 52 years. I see no face that are like, oh, yes, 52. It's long. 52 years is very long. The same ruler, the same king, the same leadership in place for 52 years. I was curious and I went to check how many prime ministers we had in the last 52 years. We had 11 prime ministers. So when we think about that, the, the King Uzziah died, why is it a big thing? We're not, we're not really impacted by that because we change. Our prime minister, our, the leadership of our country is changing so often. We are used to that. We are used to change in leadership. And even if we are used to change in the leadership of our country, we're still a little bit nervous when elections come, right? In October, it's coming soon. You just have to spend a little bit of time on social media and begin to follow the conversation about the election and, and you will see the tension. The question that comes to mind, like what will this new ruler be like? What will he do for our country? Will he, will he defend the weak? Will he protect those who need protection? Will he just live in his ivory tower and don't care about the people? Will he begin to have affiliation with the enemy? Will he make sure that there's a growth of prosperity in our country? Those people, you know, most of the people at, at Isaiah's time knew only one ruler during their whole lifetime. Only one. So imagine the, the stress, imagine the pressure that comes on a country. It's not just another king that passed away and we are waiting for the new one. It's a national mourning in the country. Our good king, Uzziah is one of the kings uh, that, that ruled over Jerusalem, that was one of the better kings. You know, they were all bad at a certain point, even David. But he was one that is the closest to the ring of David in all the kings that went to Jerusalem. 
He was a good king. He, 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 he dig a whole a lot of, of, uh, of, of water wells. He, dig, uh, he, he create a lot of prosperity uh, uh, for the agriculture of the, the, the country. He did all kinds of things. He won a lot of wars against the Philistine, the enemy of his people. He was considered a good king. And what is really ironic in this passage is that God is not coming to reveal himself to Isaiah in any random time. The king is dead. There's pressure. There's uncertainties on the country. And Isaiah goes into the temple. He goes there to worship his Lord. And he got way more than he bargained for. <laughs> he met the Lord. He met the true king sitting on his throne. The king that rules over everything. You know what? Isaiah, your king must, maybe is dead. But the true king of the universe, the supreme king, the ultimate king of the universe is still reigning. He's still sitting on his throne. And he's not surprised. His throne is not shook. And he reveals himself to Isaiah. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. I and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You know, when uncertainty came, when you go through a period like that, one thing that you really need to know, one thing that you really need to keep in front of your eyes, and even for us today, I don't know where you are in your life right now. I don't know what you're going through. But one thing that we need to remember is that the king is still on his throne. We don't have to, to, to follow and to be stressed by the circumstances that are around us. The king is still on the throne. And the first thing we see in this text, the first foundation to live a life that is fully lived for the Lord live for a good reason, is that you need a high view of God. The first thing that Isaiah saw was the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, glorious Lord. And we see the seraphim over him. And the seraphim are very special creatures. You know, when you see I am at the end of a word in Hebrew, it's often because it's the plural form. So there's one seraph, many seraphim. And here you see the seraphim. And they are, are, are very special creatures. We only see them here in this text, in the whole Bible. The seraphim are, are flying. They have, they have three pairs of wings. They have one pair with which they fly. The other pair to cover their faces. And the other pair to cover their feet. What a strange kind of, of creature. Um, Arsis Pro tells us when he, he talks about this text that when the Lord created creatures, he created fish with gills to be able to breathe underwater. He created birds with uh, wings and with feathers. He, they are light and they can fly in the air. He created uh, men with feet to walk on earth. He says God created each creature to fit their environment. And here, they don't have six wings for no reason. 
is because they need those wings to fit their environment. And the seraphim that stood in front of the Lord day and night needs to cover their face from the shining glory of the Lord. Even them looking to the Lord cannot stand, cannot bear the glory of God. They cannot bear to, to look directly at the glory of God. It is so bright and so shining, so glorious. They need to cover their face. Can you imagine the sight? We have the promise as children of God that one day we will see him face to face. They have another set of wings to cover their feet and many theologians think it's because they need to cover their creatureness. The fact that they are creatures that they are created they are in front of the lord almighty other uh, theologians think it's just because they cover their feet to show that they, the the way in which they go the direction they take is not their own they follow the order of the one on the throne the word seraphim means the burning ones <laughs> it's just a beautiful picture we don't know if they are burning, uh, they call burning ones because Isaiah saw them and, and thought maybe they looked like a flame because of those six wings. Some things that they are called the burning ones because they are literally in fire. We don't know for sure, but what we know for sure is that they are burning with passion for the Lord. Because the most interesting thing about those creatures is not their aspect and their appearances. The most interesting thing about them is their song, is what comes out of their mouth. They are there day and night before the Lord. And imagine the picture. You see that the king on his throne, high and lifted up, having sovereignty over absolutely everything. There's nothing that is not under the control of this king. The train of his robe, of his robe filled the temple. What a beautiful sight. It's just talking about his beauty that fills everything, his glory that is spreading to touch absolutely everything he ever created. And the seraphim are crying to one another. It's like one seraphim stood here and the other one in front of him and they are crying to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We have here something that we are not used to in French or English or other language that we use today. In Hebrew language, what we have here is uh, emphasis. Because in English, we can use a bold font to emphasize something. We can use underlining, highlighting. But in the Hebrew language, they use repetition. So each one of these holy, holy Holy is just uh, boosting the other one. He's just saying the Lord is not only holy, is not only holy, holy, he is holy, holy, holy. Absolutely holy. We have that example in Genesis 14 verse 10 when, when uh, they talk about pits. They use the same kind of emphasis, but they use it only two times. They, they talk about pits in which uh, men fell. Uh, and in, in our translation in English, it's written like bitumen pits or great pits. We don't have a clear translation because in the Hebrew, it's only written pits, pits. <laughs> what they are trying to communicate is that you have pits and you have pits. 
You have the kind of pits in which you can lose your sword. And you have the kind of pits where you can lose your life. They have pits and they have pits. And here, it's very rare that we have a triple emphasis like this one. And it's the only place in all of Scripture when it is used to talk about the attributes of God. So it's never said that God is love, 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 or patient, 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 or just, just, just. It's the only place where it says that God is holy, holy, holy. If God is one thing, he is holy. But what does that mean? What do we mean when we say that God is holy? We mean that God is in a category all by himself. When we talk about men and women, we can say, I am a man like Josh. When we talk about women, we can say, there's a woman, there's another woman. We can point to something else to say, here, you can compare. They are of the same kind. But God is alone in his class, is alone in his category. So the holiness of God is the sum of all his other attributes. Everything that God is, is holy. When we say that God is holy, we are mainly saying that God is God. There's no one like him. He is separated. He is apart. The whole earth is filled with his glory. One of my favorite authors, Jonathan Edwards, says that when he talks about the whole earth filled with his glory in this text, he's talking about the fact that uh, the holiness of God, the manifestation of the holiness of God is called his glory. So the glory of God is when God manifests his attributes to us. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. My question to you is, do you see it? You need to have a high view of God because if you don't have a high view of God, you won't have a right view of anything else. It all starts with him. You need to have a right view of God. And that is a high view of God. In order to have a right view of yourself, we will see that. And to have a right view on everything else. Because he is the creator of all things. Do you see his glory? In Romans chapter 1, the apostle Paul repeats that same truth. That the glory of God can be seen with our eyes when we look at the creation. When you go outside and look at the sun... When you go outside and look at all the creatures that he created. That we haven't even discovered yet in the, the bottom of the ocean. The complexity of the human being. The intelligence behind all that you see outside comes from the holy creator of all things. Do you see his glory? When the Lord made the rain to fall on the just as on the unjust. When the grace of God is spreading through everyone that ever lived. When you see a baby coming to life. It's all from God. And we are called to see his glory. We are called to look at him and to see how great that God is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And it says that, verse 4, that the foundation of the treasure shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Wow. You know, 
the foundation of the threshold are shaking by the voice of the seraphim that is speaking. Holy, holy, holy. It's not your, your fat little baby angel that you see on many images or maybe in some church's windows. This angel, these heavenly beings are powerful. They're calling holy, 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 and the place is shaking. And it's filled with smoke, probably the smoke that comes from the altar. But the first thing we need to know is we need to have a high view of God. A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about a man is what comes to his mind when he thinks about God. The most important thing about a man is what comes to his mind when he thinks about God. You cannot live a life that really matters if you don't know the Lord. Seek him. Maybe you're thinking, okay, but how do I do that? Like, I, I, never, I never was in a temple. I never was in a place where the Lord has just opened my eyes to see seraphim and smoke and glory and holy songs in heaven. How do I contemplate and see the greatness of my God? Let me tell you that we have more than what Isaiah saw on this day. We have the full, complete word of God in our hands. We can take that book and seek the Lord with all our strength and he is going to reveal himself to us. We have the revelation of what Jesus came to do for us. The radiance of the glory of God. Him, the exact image of the Father. We have a revelation of the Lord that Isaiah did not have. And we are called to seek him. If you do one thing with your life, seek the Lord. Seek him. Jesus said in, in John chapter 17 verse 3 that eternal life is to know God and Jesus. Do you know him? One of the best things you can do is buy books that talks about the attributes of God. There's many of them. There's one that is free on the internet by Paul David Washer that is called The One True God. It's an exercise book. You can write down, you can read all the verses that talk about who he is. And I'm calling the, the, the inner desire in each and every one of the Christians in this place this morning. You have that desire inside of you. You want to know the Lord. If you are born again in Jesus Christ, you want to know him more. I know it's hard sometimes. I know our knees touch the ground more often than we want to. I know we are challenged and we are entertained by many things, but you need to seek the Lord. You know, I'm, I'm colorblind. It's a big shock, yeah? I don't see in black and white, but I'm, I'm colorblind. And, and when I went to see the eye doctor one day, her assistant made me do some tests, and she was shocked. She showed me all kind of round thing with all kind of dots in, in it and you normal people you see numbers in it <laughs> but I just see a bunch of dots from different colors they invented something they, they call it the colorblind glasses apparently you can see color I never tried it you can see <laughs> colors the right way with it so I never know I, I don't see the world like you do I don't see the colors as you do but if only I had those glasses, I could maybe see the world the same way you do. 
You know, with God it's the same thing. You cannot see life in the right way if you don't have the glasses of the right understanding of who God is. You need to know the Lord. The second thing we see in this text in front of us is that we need to have a humbling view of self. The first point is longer because there's more verses It's the most important. It starts with that. If you have a right view of God, you will have a right view of self. You need to have a humbling view of self. So all the points today are just building upon one another. You need to have a humbling view of self. And that's what Isaiah is experimenting here. Augustine, that you probably know, said that it was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. Humility. If you have a right view of God, look at what happened. Isaiah says in verse 5, after seeing the glory of God like that, he said, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. If Isaiah understand one thing, is that it's something else. And in front of him, maybe he thought he was pure before. Maybe Isaiah had a great esteem, self-esteem before meeting with the Lord. But at that point, something changed in him. If you just look at the first five chapters of his book, if you, in fact, if you have the the same Bible as me, there's this text, verse 5 is on on the right page, and on the the left page you have verse 20 to 22 of chapter 5. And if you just look at those verses, the beginning of those verses is, woe, 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 woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Woe to those who live in that way. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And, and Isaiah is just pointing to other people. He's sending this message that comes from God but saying, you need to repent. You are not in the right way. You're not living as you should live. And the word woe is, 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 is the a cursing word. It's the opposite of saying blessed or those. It's woe to you. But when he comes face to face with the Lord... He says, woe is me. What Isaiah is going through in in chapter 6 is just, he is himself the example of what the people needs to experiment in order to be changed and be saved and live for what matters most. He's not saying, woe is me. You know, uh, I had a pair of, of, of white pants when I was in high school. I don't know if some of you knew those kind. It was champions with all kind of snaps on the side. You wore that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Eh? White. I bought those pants in summer. And uh, I was proudly rocking them. When winter came, you know, I'm colorblind. <laughs> when winter came, I, I put my white pants and I went outside. And I was just shy of walking outside with those pants because... In consideration, in comparison with the white snow that was outside, they were almost yellow. (laughs) They looked dirty. You cannot compare white with black to see if it's really white. When you compare white with true white, you know if it's really white or not. 
You follow me, right? Isaiah was maybe comparing himself with others. And when we do that in our own lives, when you look at others and saying, yeah, you know, I'm not too bad. I think I'm pretty holy when I look at the people around me. I live a life that is pretty considerable. I, I, I think I'm not that much of a sinner when I look to him or her. I'm pointing that direction, but you're not. <laughs> but when you come face to face with the Lord, that's when you see your true self. And Isaiah experimenting this in a powerful way. You know, we, when we begin to, 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 to follow Christ, when our heart is changed, the Lord is showing us little by little things that needs to change in our life, right? We begin to change. There's some bigger things sometimes that, that leave first. Like, Eric, you're transformed. Drug is leaving quickly. It's not in, in some steps or, or something like that. And, and some things are still there. I still struggle with sin. Say amen. I'm like I, Isaiah. I'm not coming here telling you, you know what, I understand these passages. I see the Lord as great all the time. And I'm, I'm never thinking, I'm, I'm never saying, oh, it's me. no. When I spend time looking at the Lord, that's where I see my true self. Or like the troll says, my true colors. They are in front of the Lord. Isaiah is there and says, I am lost. And he understands that in front of God, there's no sin that can subsist. It's impossible. It's impossible to not be destroyed in the presence of holiness. Sin cannot enter the holiness of God. Sin cannot enter into paradise, into heaven. It's impossible. The holiness of God will just destroy every sin. And, and, and Isaiah know that. He says, for I am lost. And, and here again, we have the English translation, I am lost. The older translation, maybe in a King James Version, said, I am undone. And the expression uh, literally means that you are uh, taking, uh, taking out pieces by pieces. You are destroyed Isaiah is saying, I am being, I will be disintegrated. You know, disintegrated? Maybe you've seen um, the Avengers movie, Infinity War, when Thanos, you thought about that, huh, when I said disintegrated. He snapped his finger and then people begin to disappear. But they are not just disappearing in one shot. You're just disintegrating. That's what Isaiah thinks is going to happen to him in front of the Lord. He thinks that's it. It is too much. It is too glorious, too holy. I am, I am a man of unclean lips. Why is he talking about his lips? His lips is just the, 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 the place. And you know, Jesus used that same expression. Out of the mouth comes the sin of the, the heart. You know, out of the heart come the, 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 the bad language and the things that we are saying. So your mouth is really revealing your sinfulness. And Isaiah say, I'm living among a people of unclean lips. I have unclean lips. I cannot stand in front of the Lord. I will be totally disintegrated. I will be destroyed. I cannot stand. I have no issue. I have no solution. This God is great. He is awesome. He is beautiful. But how can I stand in front of him? He has no clue. Sometimes when you talk about God to other people, when we evangelize, when we bring the gospel to people, we are really prone to talk to them about what Jesus did on the cross for them. But how much time do we spend talking about 
the greatness of God. Why would I want to be transformed? Why would I want to have a relationship with him if I don't know how great he is? After that, we need to understand our sinfulness. And not just for the people. Maybe you, know, you don't know the Lord yet. You need to understand in your sin, you cannot approach the Lord. You cannot stand in his presence. The Lord's demand holiness. But what is the solution? And look, God gave the solution. Isaiah is done. But God has not said his last word. In verse 6 and 7, we see that one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. The language that is used here, once again, we need to be careful to the word that are uh, used in this text to understand clearly. But what we have in verse 6 and 7 is the gospel. Isaiah is done. He can do nothing. He cannot stand in front of a holy God in his sin. And he cannot cure himself from sin. He doesn't have any solution in himself. But the Lord sent one of his seraphim to take a burning coal from the altar. And that's really important to see. From the altar, a sacrifice has been made. The house was filled with fire. With smoke, I mean. Sorry. And he take a burning coal from the altar and touch his lips. Purify his mouth. He cleansed Isaiah. And what is said here is that his guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. You know, the book of Isaiah has been called the fifth gospel many times because the gospel is so clear. What Jesus will come to accomplish is so clear in the book of Isaiah. And here again, we have this example. There is never no one else and no other solution that has been given by which we can come and become clean. No other solution in Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us to take away our guilt. What does that mean when he says to Isaiah, your guilt is taken away. That means you are no longer guilty. I do not see you as under the condemnation right now. Your guilt has been taken away. And he says, your sin has been atoned for. What do we, are we talking about when you talk about the atonement? We talk about the, the justice that has been done. The right payment for justice has been paid. Your crime, because of your sin, you should die, God said to Adam. Paul repeats it in, in Romans 3 verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 6, 23. And the just wage of sin is death. There's a condemnation. The only one that paid for that is Jesus Christ. Jesus came and lived the perfect life. God said, I will pay myself. You know what? The New Testament talks about this passage of Isaiah as Jesus talking to Isaiah. We see that in John Chapter 12, if I remember correctly. John 12, verse 41. 
when he says that Isaiah said those things when he saw the glory of Jesus. Jesus is the only one, the perfect son of God, came, lived a perfect, righteous life, always loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, and mind. And he was killed on the bloody cross. He took upon himself our condemnation. Isaiah will talk about that in chapter 53. He was like a lamb that was slain for the sin of the world. And John the Baptist said here, look, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the only one that can do that. And it's the one who's doing that with Isaiah in this text also. Woe is me, I cannot stand in front of a holy God. But God offered his own son to die in our place so that we can be in relationship with that amazing God. You cannot live a life that is pleasing to the Lord if you don't know how great he is. If you don't have a humbling view of self, a clear view of sin. And if you don't have a heart-changing view of the gospel. Jesus Christ died for sinners. And you know what? It's not just for those who, became, who become Christian today. <laughs> The gospel is not just, it's not just the, the entrance door of faith. It's not just, okay, I need to understand that I am lost. I am unable. He is great. He is all-powerful. I need to give my life to Jesus so he will give me a new life. And then I will be able to live all by myself for the rest of my life. The gospel needs to stay in front of our eyes for every day of our life. You will not be able to stand as Christian in this world, if you don't have the gospel in front of you, you will quickly go back to trying to earn your own salvation, to do things by your own strength. And you will not present the gospel to other people clearly because at some point we begin to think that we are over this. I understood that. Now I'm a Christian. I'm a better person. I'm over you. No. I need the same grace today that I needed many years ago when I got to know Christ. You've been saved by the gospel and you continue to live and grow and be in, uh, sanctified through the gospel until you meet the Lord and worship him for the gospel for eternity. You need the gospel daily. I know I, I'm struggling the same way you do. How many times, not only a week, but how many times a day do I need the gospel I have four kids. Who have kids here? Some of you don't. Some of you will. Some of you maybe never. I don't know. But I have four kids. I need the gospel daily. How many times a day I'm reacting in a way that I promised myself I will never do. I don't, know for, I don't know if there's any parents in this place that can come to me after the service and tell me, Eric, you know what? I think I am a great dad. I did an amazing job as a dad, and I can give you some tips. I, I will take it for, for real, but I'm not saying that there's no good dad. <laughs> there's, there's good dads, good moms, but how, how often do we look to each other, me and my wife, saying, man, we are a mess. How can our kids grow up to be good people? <laughs> We need the gospel daily because I need to remember to myself, it is not about my performance. It's about the grace of God. If my kids are believers growing up, it will be because the grace of God 
has been poured out on them. And they saw the glory of God and they decided to follow him. You know, Vodi Bokim said, if I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but fail to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ, I fail as a father. Not that you save him, but you teach them the right things. If you want to live for what matters most, you, have to have, you need to have a, a very heart-changing view of the gospel daily. And lastly, verse 8. Isaiah now, hear the voice of the Lord. It's the first time in the story, in the, the, this amazing encounter with God that, that the voice of the Lord is heard. He said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people. And then he gave him his message. What is truly remarkable with this passage, and the last point is to have a holy view of success. And we can ask, how do you come with that kind of subtitle in this verse? Isaiah has been one of the most encouraging uh, personage or, or character or, or person in the whole Bible for me. Because Isaiah received a call to go to a people to teach a message, to call them to repentance, to call them to go back to the Lord. And he never saw any fruit. He went to a people, and we see that in the verses that are just following, 9 to 13. He says that he's going to a people to tell them a message, but their heart will be hardened. They will not listen to you, and they will not change. Wow! Sign me up. That's, now, that's not how it happened. When we read verse 8, Isaiah has no clue as what the mission is. No clue. Look, look with me at verse 8. He said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Right now we need to understand this. We saw verse 5 when Isaiah is just on the ground, face down, thinking he will be destroyed. He will be completely erased from, from earth. He will die because of his uncleanness in front of the Holy Lord. And here... Is offering himself and volunteering. You notice that God is not talking directly to Isaiah. He, he has this holy council. I don't know how it works. I, some thinks he was talking to the seraphim. Some thinks it was the Holy Trinity that was talking. But he's not talking to Isaiah. He's saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, Lord. Send me. What happened in this man's life? That knowing his humility, knowing his sinfulness, would be able to raise up and say, I want to go, Lord. Please. Please, Lord, don't send anybody. Send me, Lord. He saw the Lord in his glory. 
He saw his sinfulness. The Lord has changed him, cleansed him. And the answer of Isaiah is like the, the, the answer of the apostle to Jesus. Where shall we go, Lord? You have the word of eternal life. Isaiah is in front of God and saying, I don't want to serve anyone else. I don't want to live for any other reason, for any other person than for you, Lord. What an amazing sight. What an amazing God. Glorious. Powerful. Holy. He is the reason why I am alive. He is the creator of all things. And he redeemed me by sending his own son to die for me, giving me a new life. This life, Lord, I want to live fully for you. I don't want to live for vainful things anymore. I don't want to live my life for myself. And it's not out of fear of God. Oh, yes, the, the Lord is terrifying. He is powerful. He is mighty. He can destroy you. He's been giving you grace and he's redeemed you. I don't want to live for anything else than for you. He has no clue of the mission. He's just looking at God and saying, I don't care about the mission. I don't care about no money. I don't care about no fame. I don't care about the popularity. I don't care about any of this. The only thing I want is to live for this great God for the rest of my life. A holy view of success. The life of the prophet Isaiah was a life well lived. He was a successful life on the side of God. Because he lived faithfully to the Lord. I want to encourage some of you today. Maybe you're not seen at all. You're just living for the Lord. You're just doing what you, you believe deep in your heart that you've been called for. And you don't have the fame. And you don't have the numbers. And you don't have all the things. Maybe you, you look around and you see others having all those kind of things. And faithful brothers and sisters. And you think, you know what? Even in my own life, I told you that Isaiah is such a model. Such an example such a powerful testimony for me. I can look at other churches and think, wow, the Lord is truly there. If I look here, brothers and sisters, I'm like, wow, the Lord is doing something in this church in Ottawa. What a, a grace that comes from the Lord to see a church like that. That are worshiping with all their heart. That are meeting together. That are growing in discipleship. Why are we only eight people in Montreal? It's not fair. I'm saying that sarcastically today, but there's some times where I was truly praying like that to God. Is God truly with us? Because we don't see the fruit that other people are seeing? Then you have Isaiah's example. He never saw a conversion in his life, but he persevered and he lived fully and faithfully to the Lord, and that is a life well lived. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what your life will look like in years. I just want to come here and encourage you, please live for what matters most. 
You need to have a high view of God. You need to have a humbling view of self. You need to have a heart-changing view of the gospel daily. And you need to have a holy view of success or you will just abandon. If you define success the same way our society defines it, you will just give up. You know what? This God thing doesn't work. Why is my friend living in sin and having so much and doing so much and... You're, if you are, believe the right thing, a successful life of being faithful to the Lord, then you will be able to persevere and continue to the end. I want to um, call the worship team to come up and we'll just take a time of prayer. I want to encourage you to pray with that last verse that we read. In Isaiah chapter 6, we have this verse um, at the end of verse 8 when he says, Here I am, send me. And the Lord is sending him. And many of us, we already know what the Lord has called us to do. Um, as believers in Jesus Christ, we can just open the Bible and have that heart that says, God, here I am, send me. I want to live for you. And then you open the Bible and you, you go and you seek and you, you look at what the Lord is asking you to live for. And you just do it. But you have maybe a family, maybe a working place, maybe a marriage. And I want us to take some 30 seconds to one minute just to pray by yourself in your seat. And after that, Josh will call us to, to stand and worship together. But just to pray at your place and say, God, if you're convinced that these are the true of the Lord. That's, that's my, my task. It really is just to put the word in front of you and say, if, if the Lord is truly saying that, is, if this is the truth of God, you need to deal with this. And I want to ask you to pray in your seat right now and ask, Lord, please, here I am, send me back maybe to a broken marriage. Maybe send me back to a difficult co-workers. Send me back to my family. Send me back to Maybe my basketball team, or I don't know. But just pray at your place and say, Lord, please send me. I want to go for you. I don't want to keep my mouth shut anymore. I don't want to live for myself anymore. But I want to live fully for you. Can we please do that? I will pray and then just pray um, at your place and we'll worship the Lord. Father, I'm so thankful for your word. So thankful for the example of Isaiah. This life is always coming to us with all kinds of offer to live for this and live for that and to think about us, Lord. We deserve this and we deserve that. But we are called to live for you, the creator of all things, this great and amazing God that you are. And today I just pray, Father, that you will send us back into our family, back into our our city, back into the place where we are called to be, to shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in those places. Help us to live life that really are meaningful. Help us to live for what matters most. Father, we know we cannot do that without you. As Isaiah was not able to clean himself with his own strength, he needed you. We want to keep the gospel daily in front of us. 
You are worthy. We are needy. Without you, we can do nothing. So we ask, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Strengthen us and send us back. So we can be your mouth to the people that are lost around us. Or even to our spouse. Or even to just begin to live more like you have called us to do. We need you, Lord. Be glorified by the lives of your children, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.